So tonight's reading is in uh, two parts, uh, both in Luke's Gospel. So the first bit will be Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 10, and the second part, uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 4. So, Luke chapter 9. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this that I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. And chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. This is the word of the Lord. Great, thanks, Esther. I, um, I like this chair so much I'm going to stay in it. I hope, that, I hope that's okay. Um, I grew up in a church um, that didn't engage me. I was dragged along to church from a fairly young age, and I used to pass the time by watching the clock above the preacher's head and seeing if I could hold my breath for a whole minute. So if you were behind, you would have seen this guy increasingly turning blue, shaking, and then when the minute hand came roaring to the top, you would have heard this, (laughs) as I exhaled and saved my own life. That was my church experience. It was so dull. Um... After a few years of utter despair, I went to the leaders of our church. Uh, It was a church that had elders. I went to the elders and I said, look, um, church is really dull. It's probably not a great approach, but hey, I was young. Um, Church is really dull, but Jesus is amazing. And I think we should tell our neighborhood about Jesus. And they said, great, we'll have a meeting to talk about it. So they went off and they had a meeting. It was quite a long meeting. It took several months. And eventually they called me back into the upper room. It literally was a room upstairs. They summoned me. And there was a semicircle of chairs with all the elders, um, average age 85 or dead, um, (laughs) gathered. uh, And they looked me in the eye and they said, so we've had a meeting. And I said, great. And they said, and you can't do it. And I said, what? They said, you can't. And despite my best efforts, they continued to say, 
You can't. My experience growing up was Jesus was amazing and I couldn't quite make sense of the church. And interestingly, Jesus never said, go to church. He said, follow me. He said, do the things that I do. Teach the things that I teach. And of course, the church, as it should be, is the result of all of that. But it starts with Jesus and what he said and taught and did. So this evening, what I want to do is just give a few reflections from these passages in Luke, sort of interlaced with um, some of my experience traveling around working in Eastern Europe um, and Central Asia, because there are some dynamics at work in the kingdom of God that are different to normal life. And if we're going to be a church on mission, we need to recognize what the dynamics of the kingdom are and seek to live in those ways and not get sidetracked by the dynamics of normal life. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Meaning that the way that the kingdom operates, the assumptions of God's kingdom, the norms of God's kingdom are different than what we normally experience. And yet sometimes maybe we try to tame these dynamics and make them more like normal life. And we wonder sometimes where the power is gone. I, people often ask me, how come in Western Europe generally we don't experience what is often experienced in places like Central Asia? And I think part of the answer to that is what is in these passages in Luke. So let's dive in. Firstly, you probably spotted at the beginning of chapter, um, chapter 9, Jesus sends out the twelve And he says, take nothing with you. And he gives them a list of things not to take. Take nothing with you. Historically, the church of Jesus has flourished and has has had greatest impact, and it's true today, where people don't have much. Where they don't have bags and money and spare clothes. Because then they know where the power really is. You know, generally, the more stuff we have, the more prone to self-reliance we become. It's not that stuff is bad in itself. It's just that stuff can easily become the thing that we rely on instead of God. So we rely on stuff, and we stop relying on God, And we wonder where the power goes. One of our staff was here recently, and um, she was telling us about some of her experience. She's from a context where they have very little. The church is small, but exploding in growth. And what little they have, they share and they give generously, and everyone around is noticing. And do you know what they're asking? The question they're asking is why. Why, when you have so little, do you give it so freely? Why, when you have so little, are you so full of joy? Why, when you have so little, are you willing to risk your life to tell others about this Jesus that you follow? She was on the plane, traveling here, and she sat next to a woman. And the woman was really sad. 
So she got into a conversation and she asked this woman why she was really sad. Turned out this woman's son had disappeared. And she hadn't seen him for weeks and she was despairing. And this member of our team, first thing she does, I wonder if this would be you. I don't think it would be me, honestly, but this is what she does. She says, can I pray for you? And this woman's like, uh, I guess. <laughs> so uh, she gets prayed for. Middle of the flight. And uh, as she's being prayed for, um, our, our member of staff hears God say to her, just tell this woman, I am for you. I am for your son. And when you arrive at the airport, your son will be waiting for you. Now, you're probably doing what I was doing, thinking, ha, risky. You know, if, right? If God doesn't come through on this one, God's going to look really silly. Can I do this to God? She didn't. She had no questions. So she looks this woman in the eye and she says, God is for you. God is for your son. And when you get off the plane, your son will be waiting. Guess what happened? She gets off the, off the plane and her son is waiting. Relying on God. Relying on God in a context where they have so little and the two so often go together. It's a kingdom dynamic. So the challenge, of course, for us is how do we learn to rely on God more when we have a lot of stuff, and stuff isn't bad in itself, but we do have a lot of it. And it takes a church to do this. It takes a community of people who are committed to following Jesus to challenge each other so that we don't rely on stuff, but we rely on God. And you know what? If we do, there is no reason why that kind of story can't be our story as well. No reason. Jesus said it here. Now, you'll do what, I, what you have seen me do. But the church only sees that when the church relies on Jesus and not on stuff. Okay, next one. Um, this is really good news for all of us. Imperfect people allowed. There's, um, the rest of Luke 9 basically tells stories of the disciples screwing up making a mess, getting it wrong. Um, there's, one, there's one occasion where um, they've been to a Samaritan village and um, the village hasn't welcomed Jesus and James and John come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, we've got this great idea. Shall we call down fire and burn up this village? You imagine if you're Jesus, you'd be like, oh, guys, how long is this going to take? There's a whole chunk of Luke 9 which is like that. And it's as if Luke is saying, misunderstanding, getting things wrong, making mistakes, none of them disqualify you from working with God. Isn't that good news? We don't need to be perfect. We can mess up and God can still use us. In fact, the story of the Bible is partly a story of God using people who mess up a lot. 
Jesus is not looking for perfect people. He is looking for people who will follow him, do what he does, say what he says, and go with the great news about him, his death and resurrection, to those around them. That's it. That's it. Mistakes and all, screw-ups and all, calling, maybe not the calling down fire one, but whatever the equivalent is. None of that disqualifies us. God knows our flaws. And if we'll ask God for help and keep going, God will use us. Ordinary, messed up, occasionally strange people of North Oxford. God will will use us. Okay, let's jump to Luke 10. First couple of uh, verses of Luke 10. What's going on here? Jesus sends them out. Sends out the 72. It's the mission of the church, to go out driven by love into the world. Jesus says, go two by two and don't greet anyone on the road. First few times I visited Ukraine to meet our staff, I had a, what for me at the time was an odd experience. Um, Our schedule was set up. Uh, It was typically very tightly packed and programmed, and we would start at nine o'clock in the morning, or or so I thought. I would be there at nine o'clock in the morning. My Ukrainian colleagues were not, largely. And uh, this annoyed me. This happened a few times, despite some conversations. And in the end, I asked the question, why? You'd think I would have done that immediately, but I was a bit slow, so I didn't. Here's what I discovered. When I asked, guys, I thought we were starting at 9 o'clock. Where were you? The reply came, I bumped into Vladimir halfway here. We had to have a chat. What I learned is that in Ukraine... Bumping into friends and greeting them is number one important and number two takes time. What goes for Ukraine also went for first century Palestine. Jesus is not saying be rude. He is communicating urgency. He is saying Don't stop on the road because your task is the most important task there is. Go with the gospel. This this language that is is prayed here for, um, uh, here's what Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers. That That word send is a shocking translation. The actual original word is the same word for for a demon being cast out. It's the idea of workers being thrust out with power into the mission field. This is urgent. So don't stop on the road to greet your friends because this is urgent. The work of the kingdom, the work of communicating the good news about Jesus is the most important thing you can do. So get on with it. I don't know about you, but 
sometimes I lack that urgency. Sometimes I, I just get used to the status quo and I can, I can lack in urgency. And again, we need each other. You know, mission is not supposed to be a lone activity. The church is only the church when she is on mission. An inward-looking church is not a church at all. And if we are to be the people of God here, and if Tollock's church is to be the church in Lviv, we need each other to maintain the urgency. We need to help each other stay focused, not get distracted. There's this great picture of, um, of someone challenged from Jesus, where Jesus says, put your hand to the plow and don't look back. Have you ever tried mowing your lawn and looking behind you while you do it? You know what happens? Guess. Come on. You're bright people. What happens? Your beautiful lines of your lawn are destroyed. It's like this. You go off course. That's what Jesus is saying. Focus. Stay true. Look forward. Focus on what I have called you to do. Proclaim the good news of the kingdom that up there is coming down here. That in the death and resurrection of Jesus, life with God is possible. That starts now and goes on forever. So don't look back. Last one. Jesus talks about sending us, sending his followers out like lambs among wolves. Weak against the strong. Not only are you Christians, says Jesus, lambs among wolves, but I'm sending you with nothing. No bags, no clothes, nothing. And we'd rather be the wolves, right? I mean, we'd rather be the powerful ones, the strong ones. But it turns out that in God's kingdom, the lambs are the strong ones. Because of the good shepherd that they belong to. So go. Go with the gospel. Go with nothing. Because when you go with nothing, you will prove the God who sends you. You will prove that there is an unstoppable force in the world that is at work today. So go with nothing and find God to be true and real and powerful. You know, in the early church, there was no, no such thing as a nominal Christian. In Central Asia today, there is no such thing as a nominal Christian. You follow Jesus with everything you have because it could cost you your life. And the church in Central Asia is small and it is an unstoppable force. Lives are being changed every single day. Miracles are being witnessed every single day. 
people are discovering that Jesus is alive. When the Emperor Constantine became a Christian, Christianity became the official faith of the empire, and the reality of nominal Christianity was born. And the unstoppable force lost some of its power. As resources increased, people became reliant on resources instead of God. And the church lost its way. The challenge for us is to rediscover the dynamics of God's kingdom. So let me challenge you to figure out what this looks like. What does it look like for you and for us as a church to go with nothing and to rely on God's provision? What does it look like to go and speak for Jesus and demonstrate his kingdom with our weakness and in our imperfection? What does it look like to say, I am messed up and broken and struggling, but Jesus is strong? What does it look like to go as lambs amongst wolves, knowing that the lambs are the strong ones because of the shepherd that they follow? God still sends his church. He sends us to take the good news of his kingdom to those around us. These dynamics are still at work. It is God that has the power, and it is he who will equip us if we will do what Jesus does.